The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. 8474. As most of you know, or perhaps don't know, what we have during the Spring uh, Chapel series is that uh, the faculty uh, selects uh, outstanding uh, graduating seniors uh, and asks them to uh, bring the chapel devotion message. And so for our first student, uh, graduating student, to be addressing you this uh, semester, we're going to ask Jason Vanderhorst to come up and uh, to bring our devotional message. And uh, our apologies. He's very tall, and our podium is so very short. Uh, Jason, come on up. A podium made for Dr. Godfrey, I assume. And uh, I'm thankful you came today, even though I'm not him. It is a distinct honor to be here as a a student speaking, so thank you to anybody here who had a, a hand in that. I appreciate that. Let's begin with prayer, and then we'll open the scriptures. Lord God, we thank you for this morning that you have given to us, the breath of life that we have within us. We thank you for this opportunity to uh, reflect on your word. Lord, how we treasure your word. Help us to treasure it even more than we already do. Lord, help us to meditate upon it day and night, to love it, to hide it in our hearts even, so that we might not sin against you. But more than that, Lord, we pray that you will help us to use your word, or rather, that your spirit might work through us by your word to praise you, to give you more honor, to give you more glory. Lord, this morning as we're here, we, uh, we also want to remember Dr. Godfrey's wife, Mary Ellen, as she undergoes a knee replacement surgery today. Will you uh, bless the doctors there? Will you help that surgery to be successful? Bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Apparently pastors aren't supposed to announce things in prayer, and I didn't say that ahead of time, so hopefully, hopefully you knew that, but uh, yes. Okay, please turn with me to the letter of Jude, second last book of the Bible. I'm going to read the entire letter, but we will be looking mostly at the last six verses. So the word of God coming from Jude. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who are the called, loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints for all. For some men who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. Now, I want to remind you, though you know all these things, the Lord first saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. And he has kept with eternal chains in darkness for the judgment of the great day, the angels who did not keep their own position, but deserted their proper dwelling. In the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them committed sexual immorality and practiced perversions just as angels did, and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Nevertheless, 
These dreamers likewise defile their flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme glorious ones. Yet Michael, the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil in a debate about Moses' body, did not dare bring an abusive condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they don't understand. What they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, they destroy themselves with these things. Woe to them! For they have traveled in the way of Cain, have abandoned themselves to the error of Balaam for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. These are the ones who are like dangerous reefs at your love feasts. They feast with you, nurturing only themselves without fear. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, pulled out by the roots. Wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. And Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about them. Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict them of all their ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers, walking according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you, in the end time there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are unbelievers, not having the Spirit. But you, dear friends, Keep yourselves in the love of God by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, and by waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Have mercy on those who are contending. Save some by snatching them out of the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the clothing that has been defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his glorious presence, blameless and with exuberant joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority, as it was before all time, is now, and shall be for all eternity. Amen. Well, I'm sure many of you uh, are aware Hopefully, if you're, if you're married, you're quite aware that today on the world's calendar, it's Valentine's Day. My wife has been trying to, uh, unsuccessfully trying to get me to observe this holiday better for the last few years. And um, so when Dr. Kim approached me a couple weeks ago about speaking at chapel, I thought maybe I would speak about love. But actually, today we're going to focus on something quite different than love. We're going to talk about fighting. Though, of course, uh, if you're married, maybe you know that sometimes these things are not quite as far apart as they ought to be. But um, I did make my wife breakfast this morning. So. Uh, so we're talking about fighting. In some ways, the letter of Jude is all about fighting. After all, the reason for the book is given in verse 3. It says that Jude wrote, Jude says that he wrote this to exhort the believers to contend for the faith. To contend is to struggle. The imagery you should have here in your mind is of an athlete struggling against an opponent. So there is a sense in which this letter is about fighting. Now, one of the greatest fights ever took place in 1975 between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. 
It was called the Thrilla in Manila, Manila, Philippines. Ali had been the heavyweight champion of the world in the, in the mid-1960s, but in the latter half of that decade, he couldn't box because he refused to enter the draft for the war in Vietnam, and so he was out of boxing. And so one of the men who took up the mantle in the boxing world was Joe Frazier, in the early 70s, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. And so these men met for the first time in 1971 in what was called the fight of the century, and Frazier won. But two years later, in 1973, Ali won the rematch. And so now in 1975, in their third match, the rubber match, if you will, they are meeting in the Philippines. The sweltering heat of the Philippines, 15 rounds scheduled. So you know this is going to be a grueling boxing match between two of the greatest. And in the first five rounds, the first third of the fight, Ali got the better of Frazier. In fact, in the third round, he almost knocked him out. But as the fight wore on, Frazier started to land some really heavy blows, some thunderous blows, so things started to even out a bit. But then in the 10th round, Ali caught Frazier in the eye, and his eyes started to swell up. And so before the final round, Frazier's sitting there with his manager, and the manager's checking out his eye, and they made the decision that, they could not, that he could not go out for the final round. He would not continue the fight. Throw in the towel. But the interesting thing is that while Frazier was sitting there making that decision, Muhammad Ali was sitting in the other corner asking himself the same question. Should I continue? Can I continue? And later Ali said that if Frazier had come out for the final round, he would not have come out. And so the point for the message this morning, brothers and sisters, is that all Frazier had to do to win the fight was to stay in the fight. Had he stayed in the fight, he would have won. And that is the same for us because in this letter that Jude writes, his call to contend for the faith is a call to persevere in the faith. We do not need to gain the faith that we do not yet have, but rather Jude is exhorting believers here to hold on to the faith that is already ours. We win by staying in the fight. And so there's this exhortation in verse 3. And then verses 4 through 19 focus on the apostates. Jude provides the context for the struggle that these believers are to undergo. And it's in verse 20 where Jude gets back to his exhortation, calling the believers to keep themselves in the love of God. This is how the believers are to contend for their faith. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, this last section starting at verse 20. We're going to look at this exhortation to keep themselves in God's love, but we're going to also emphasize that the one who is able to keep them will keep them, both now and forever. So after this exhortation in verse 3 comes verse 4, where Jude says, where he explains the reason for why he dropped everything and decided to write about what he wrote about. And the reason is these apostates, these opponents the believers were facing, and so then in verses 5 through 19, he goes on to describe them more in depth, this threat of the apostates. And he begins by saying, I know you already know what I'm about to tell you, but I want to remind you about it. I want to sharpen you for the fight. And so he says, I want to remind you that some were saved from Egypt, but later they were destroyed because of unbelief. And two, he says, some angels were, uh, deserted their position, and so they were cast out. And so there is a punishment 
attached to this apostasy, a punishment that is real and severe. Sodom and Gomorrah was sexually immoral. The people were sexually immoral. They practiced perversion, and because of that, they faced the punishment of eternal fire. And two, Cain, Balaam, and Korah were all rebellious and wicked, and so they faced the blackness of darkness for eternity. And Jude says these modern apostates are no different. Lest anybody would think that they're going to have a different fate than the the first groups that I mentioned, he says, no, the Lord is coming to judge. It's been prophesied. He's going to convict them of their sin. He's going to execute judgment. And so that means that these apostates are dangerous people. And so the believers, not only should they not associate with them, but they should contend against them. And so, of course, they need to know who they are. So who are they? How do we know? Well, Jude says it really isn't all that difficult. The apostles have told of such people. It's evident who they are because they are ungodly scoffers, defilers of the flesh, rejectors of authority, harsh blasphemers, discontented grumblers, followers of their own desires, arrogant, flatterers, manipulators, selfish, divisive. It's a lot of things. They're dangerous people. And so the command is to contend for the faith against all of this. And specifically then, the command to contend is to keep yourselves in the love of God. But notice how this command is given. Look at verse 20. It says, but you, dear friends, you are completely different, he's saying. Verse one, you have been called. These people, verse 19, don't have the spirit, but you do. So keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, how do you do this? How do you keep yourself? Perhaps some of you are thinking, well, I thought once a believer, always a believer. What do these words say about the beautiful doctrine of assurance, the perseverance of the saints? Well, this command is not contradicting those doctrines in any way. And Jude shows us that in three ways. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Building. What is the Bible if it is not God laying out his entire building project? Now, it's true that we play a role in that, and it's true that this is an active verb calling us to do something. And Paul even says, for instance, that he laid a foundation as an expert builder. But none of this is done on our own, apart from God, because Christ is the foundation of our building. And this is why he goes on to say, keep yourselves in the love of God by praying in the Holy Spirit. Which shows our dependency in all of our striving. Our strength is not our own, but our strength comes as we prayerfully rely on the Spirit and He works in us. And finally he says, keep yourselves in the love of God by waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And this clinches it, doesn't it? We keep ourselves by looking outside of ourselves to Christ with the eyes of faith. And so this call to contend is not a call to earn one's salvation, but it's a call to hold fast to what one has already been given rather than turn to the deceptive and ungodly ways of the apostates. We persevere, but God preserves. 
And so you could say that the triune God is the primary actor here because the Father is the one who loves us, the Spirit is the one who dwells in us and helps us to pray, and it is the mercy of the Son that will lead us to eternal life. So then after laying out the specifics of that command to exhort, now we come to verses 22 and 23. And these verses are some of the most difficult text in all of the New Testament. I know this because last semester I decided to write a paper on these verses and I didn't know that ahead of time. Um, so from a text critical point of view, these verses are extremely difficult. I'd love to get into the structure of the clauses or how many clauses there are, debate about that. Also, we could do a lexical study on diacrino menus right now in, in verse 22 and we would probably enjoy that. Uh, but of course, the time is quickly uh, going so we, we won't be able to do that. But just notice how I read verse 22 at the beginning there. Have mercy on those who are contending. Many translations will have doubting here. Have mercy on those who are doubting. By the way, the same word is used in verse 9 uh, when Michael disputed. Michael was disputing with the devil. Um, but contending, I think, gets at it better here. And so that means that Jude is not speaking about believers, but he's speaking about their opponents. There's a very real decision that needs to be made there with the text. Most translations see three groups being addressed here, but I think the King James gets it right. I think there's two groups within those who are contending. And so what we have is have mercy on those who are contending, and then within that we have those who are to be snatched from the fire and thus saved, and then we have those, are to, who do, uh, those who are to be viewed as objects of mercy, but with fear because they are headed for destruction. And so we have these two groups here, and that's in keeping with how Judas structured his entire letter. There's a stark contrast throughout the letter between the apostates on the one hand and the beloved on the other. You can see that in the pronouns that are used. The apostates are referred to as they and these constantly. Verse 8, verse 10, 12 through 14, 16, 19, 22. And yet, when the beloved are being addressed, the pronoun is always you. Verses 2 through 5, verse 12, 17, 18, 20, 21, 24, 25. Very distinct contrast throughout the book. And so here's how it works. Those people create divisions and are unbelievers. But you, dearly beloved, keep yourselves in God's love and have mercy on them, saving some by showing mercy to others, but showing mercy to others with fear. So there are those who are going to be saved, and there are those who are going to be condemned. And so Jude has a twofold concern here. On the one hand, he's offering an exhortation to extend mercy, but on the other hand, he's delivering words of prophetic condemnation. And this is familiar to us too, isn't it? This is, this is how the scriptures work. They have this two-edged quality to them. Words of life, the aroma of life to those who have eyes to see, but the aroma of death to those who are blind to it. So that brings us then to the end, and we'll just spend a couple minutes looking at this beautiful doxology, verses 24 through 25, some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture, where Jude says, Praise God, ascribe to him glory, majesty, power, and authority. The glory, majesty, power, and authority that 
was his in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. Why? Why should you do this? Because he is the only God. Because he is our Savior. Because he is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand before his glorious presence, blameless and with great joy. You see, Jude had exhorted us all to keep ourselves in the love of God, but now he says that wonderfully God is able to keep you. He is able to keep you from stumbling. And this is a good word to us this morning, brothers and sisters, because there are so many things that we could stumble over. There always have been, but in our world there for sure is. Ideas, people, circumstances. So many things we could stumble over. Yet God will keep you. He will guard you, Fulaxai, from all of this. And he is able to do this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The one who was a stumbling block to the Jews. The stone that makes men stumble and the rock that makes them fall is just the opposite to believers. For us, he is the cornerstone of a new foundation, an everlasting house of faith that will endure for all eternity. And he is able to make us stand in his presence. Who can stand before the Lord? Well, the psalmist says that only he whose walk is blameless, who does what is right, in other words, who is completely pure. And it's interesting to notice in this letter how often the subject of purity was on Jude's mind. He talked about the pollution, the blemish, the defilement of the apostates. And now he's contrasting that with the purity of the believers, those who are in Christ. And so this letter ends with a beautiful assurance that God is able to keep us Pointing us back to verse 1 where we were addressed as those who have been kept by Jesus Christ. So Jude begins and ends his epistle with this affirmation of our right standing before God. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't that give you so much confidence? The Spirit inspired these words for you and me that we might live confidently even in the midst of the great apostasies that we will see, because you know that the one who preserves you will help you persevere. So contend for the faith, brothers and sisters, but remember that your contending comes within the context of his keeping. So keep yourselves in the love of God. Build yourselves up in the faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. But as you do so, remember that he is the one who called you. He is the one who loves you. He is the one who keeps you and protects you. And he is the one who will enable you to stand in his glorious presence. So I'll close with these words from 2 Thessalonians. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge.